Welcome back to the Sports Gamble Ramble. This is SGR90. We're breaking down the Indianapolis Colts. My pick to win the AFC South this year. Uh, we're coming off our preview of the Tennessee Titans. I mentioned some question marks there for me this year in Tennessee, losing some offensive weapons. To me, on paper this offseason, the Titans got worse and the Colts got better. This was a Colts team that already was... Uh, you know, a, a very relevant contender last year. They missed out on the playoffs, finishing 0-2 last season, including that embarrassing Week 18 loss down in Jacksonville. 26-11, to they lost to the Jags. Um, <clears throat> yeah, that, that really left a, uh, a stench in the mouths of Colts fans and the front office there. After the season, Jim Ursay, Frank Reich, Chris Ballard, the uh, brain trust over there in Indy, really had to kind of uh, sit down and reevaluate the state of the franchise. What was uh, the best move going forward? What caused that end of season collapse? You know, that loss to the Raiders and then the Jags. Um, they just needed one win out of those two games to clinch a playoff berth as a wild card in the AFC, and they couldn't do it. They finished nine and eight, eighth in the AFC, just that odd man out there. Um, second in their division last year, they covered 10 and seven against the spread last season. So again, you know, what does Ursay Reich and Ballard decide to do this offseason? The main headline of this episode and this season for the Colts will be the transition at quarterback. Carson Wentz obviously has been traded to Washington and Matt Ryan gets shipped over to Indy from uh, the Falcons, after 14 seasons with Atlanta, Matty Ice gets a fresh start in Indy. To me, it's the perfect fit at quarterback for this team. We can dive into it throughout this episode, but, uh, you know, really, I think he's going to provide um, a sense of consistency and leadership at the quarterback position. Um, a lot of people shitting on Carson Wentz this offseason, saying he just, you know, wasn't the right fit there. And, I, you know, I believe that he wasn't the right fit in terms of Carson a little too fast and loose with that ball security. Matt Ryan, on the other hand, I think will be um, a lot more cerebral about, you know, just not doing anything foolish. If he has to throw it away, he can do that. He's not really going to be running with the ball too much. So, you know, has been able to stay healthy throughout his career, knock on wood. Um, it doesn't really give you the liability and the concerns on offense of some of the erratic play that Wentz is going to give you. So I think it makes sense given the really the, the character and the structure of this team is the offensive line and then the MVP candidate running back with Jonathan Taylor. And the defense is pretty damn good as well. So... We'll break down all of it, but let's let's keep moving forward here. Let's talk numbers real quick. In 2021, um, the offense was tied for ninth in points per game at 26.5. Again, really effective based around that running game as Jonathan Taylor really broke out last season. They were 16th in yards per game at 347.1. Uh, funny little nugget, they were also tied for ninth in points per game on the defensive side of the ball at 21.5, and also 16th in yards per game at 343.3 defensively. So ninth and 16th in both categories on both sides of the ball, just random how those numbers worked out. And you can see middle of the pack in terms of yardage, but top 10 in terms of points in both categories, 
And I think a main reason for that, they were tied for first in the NFL in uh, turnover margin with a plus 14 turnover margin last year. And that honestly has the potential to get even better. I mean, turnovers are a stat that do not usually carry over from from year to year. But um, again, with Wentz, you know, he only threw seven picks last year, but a, a couple fumbles as well. And he just gave you the potential to have so many turnovers. Maybe I shouldn't say the margin gets better this year because realistically only seven interceptions is pretty damn good. But he had a lot of uh, bad timing as far as when the interceptions were thrown. Um, and as he, he also had a lot of interception-worthy passes that got dropped by defenders. It happened a lot. So um, let's keep moving on. Uh, aside from the quarterback change that we'll talk about, you know, 15 times today, there's a change in the coaching staff. Um, defensive coordinator Matt Eberflus is now the head coach of the Chicago Bears. And I'll say it's interesting. I think rarely it happens where your defensive coordinator gets hired to be a head coach somewhere and, and you somehow still upgrade at defensive coordinator. I think it might have happened here because the guy taking over is Gus Bradley. And he is a guy that I really have valued as one of the best defensive coordinators in the NFL over the last 10 years or so. Um, you'll probably recognize his name um, from being most notably uh, the Jaguars head coach from 2013 to 2016. And he didn't have a whole lot of success as a head coach, but it's Jacksonville. And if you remember, 2017 was the year that that, that team finally broke out and won, I think, 12 games and made it to the AFC Championship. And it was really on the back of the defense that Gus Bradley had built there. I think he got the hook one year too soon in Jacksonville, um, really before that, if you look at the success he had in Seattle as the defensive coordinator from 2009 to 2012, that was the building of the Legion of Boom. So all he did from 2009 to 2016 was build dominant defenses. Then he goes over to the Chargers for, from, uh, 2017 to 2020. And aside from having a lot of injury uh, problems on that defense, uh, did a great job over there with the Chargers, was the uh, Raiders defensive coordinator last year. And now, um, you know, what's his face over in Las Vegas decided to go a different direction, McDaniel, McDaniels. So uh, Gus Bradley comes over to Indy, and again, I think he'll do a great job. This defense has a ton of personnel. If we want to just talk about this real quick, because I don't know if we'll get back to it, but the defense, re really good. Um, they were good last year. They added a bunch of guys to it, which we can talk about in free agency next. <clears throat> but the defense, really strong. Uh, the front four, Yannick Ngakwe, DeForest Buckner, Quiddy Pay, and Grover Stewart. I mean, that's a really good, those are three notable names that can provide a pass rush for this team this year. Linebacking core with Darius Leonard. Now Shaquille Leonard, I'm never going to get used to saying that. It'll take me years probably. I'll probably still refer to him as Darius for the time being. Um, but interesting, I guess his middle name's Shaquille, and everybody, his friends and family call him Shaquille. You do you, Darius, but for right now, you're Darius to me. He's the best middle linebacker in the NFL by, by my account. Bobby Okariki's a very good linebacker as well, so that's a great coverage linebacker tandem there. And then the secondary... Kenny Moore is one of the better, more underrated corners in the NFL. They add Stephon Gilmore on the opposite side. The, the safeties, 
kind of mediocre in my opinion. Nick Cross, Rodney McLeod, and Julian Blackman are the safeties. I'm surprised to see Cross ahead of McLeod at starting safety. Uh, McLeod's a veteran. I don't know much about Nick Cross, to be honest. Should have looked into him more, but I, I I would assume that McLeod would be the starter for this team. That's interesting to me. Anyways, defense very good, the offensive line very good. So again, Gus Bradley has a lot to work with, and that's the formula to win games in Indy. Matt Ryan doesn't have to make plays, you know, constantly for this team to succeed. He really just has to be a game manager. And game manager is a term that gets thrown around with a negative connotation to it. It's totally fine to be a game manager. Jimmy Garoppolo has game managed his way to two NFC championship games in three years. Aaron Rodgers really is a game manager, to be honest. Like, he's got a relatively low passing volume compared to a lot of other teams. It really is kind of a run-first offense, and he just focuses on not turning it over. And the guys won back-to-back MVPs essentially as a game manager. Rodgers throws for like a 1,000 yards less than Brady last year and still gets the MVP over him because he just plays clean ball. And I think Matt Ryan is going to play some clean ball this year in Indy. So, personnel-wise, we've mentioned it a billion times already. The biggest uh, subtraction for this team was Carson Wentz. Um, They traded Carson Wentz and a 2022 second-round pick to the Washington Commanders. What they got back was a 2022 third-round pick and a 2022 second-round pick. So they swapped seconds, essentially. They also get a conditional pick next year, which is a third-round pick that turns into a second if Wentz plays 70% of the snaps or more for Washington this year. It's the same incentive that was built into Wentz's trade to the Colts last year. The Colts had to play him for 70% of the snaps for us to get a first-round pick from the Colts instead of a second. So the Colts, you know, they're familiar with how it works. They put that same incentive in there in their contract. So those are the Wentz details. Um, if, aside from that, key losses, offensive guard Mike Glowinski, uh, safety George Odom, defensive end al Kadeen Muhammad, offensive guard Chris Reed, running back Marlon Mack went over to the Texans, uh, defensive end Kamoko Ture, the tight end Jack Doyle retired. Congrats on a career as an undrafted free agent, Jack Doyle. Wide receiver Zach Pascal went over to Philly to join Sirianni. Uh, defensive end Isaac Rochelle, outside linebacker Matthew Adams, and defensive tackle Taylor Stallworth. They also um, put together another trade this offseason, and it'll kind of parlay into the key additions here. They brought in Yannick Ngakwe, defensive end, who's bounced around a few teams, played with Gus Bradley in Jacksonville, and he gets reunited with him in Indy. I think that's going to be a great just home run addition. And all they had to do was trade cornerback Rocky Sin over to the Raiders for, for Ngakwe. Straight up, player for player trade. You don't see it often these days. It's usually more incentivized by a, a cap situation. I think they wanted to get Ngakwe's deal off their books so they could go and sign Chandler Jones. So it works out for Indy here. You know, they bring in uh, Stefan Gilmore to pick up the role that Rocky Sin was playing in. I think that's an upgrade. So. Really, between the additions of Matt Ryan, who they get for a 2022 third from Atlanta, and Yannick Ngakwe and Stefan Gilmore, 
those are three very substantial needle-moving acquisitions for this team this offseason. And it's part of the reason that I'm higher on them than the Titans for this division. I think Ryan... I mean, Jim Ursay is calling this guy a fucking astronaut and a Navy SEAL. And there's talk inside the Colts building about how they haven't had a leader like this since Peyton Manning. Um, no disrespect to Wentz or Phillip Rivers or even Andrew Luck, but they're just talking about the professionalism and the cerebralness of how he kind of goes about, you know, his leadership, his direction of the offense, you know, really making sure everybody's on the same page. Um, you know, a lot of really good vibes out of Indy this offseason. As far as the other additions that they've brought in, I mentioned safety. Rodney McLeod comes over, Super Bowl champion with the Philadelphia Eagles. Been starting on the Eagles for five or six years. Um, about a 10-year vet in the NFL. Used to play for the Rams before Philly. They also add cornerback Brandon Fackerson, uh, right tackle Dennis Kelly, safety Armani Watts, safety Brandon King, Running back Philip Lindsay is the third running back on this team behind Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines. And so they have really good running back depth. They also brought in Tyson Williams, another running back from the Ravens this past season. And if he's your fourth guy, again, just really fantastic running back depth. Um, and then to round out the offseason additions, defensive end Afedi Odenigbo, offensive tackle Jason Spriggs, <clears throat> and quarterback Nick Foles. Nick Foles, Super Bowl 52 MVP, big dick Nick. You know who he is. He's a second stringer in Indy right now. Rest of the quarterback room is Sam Ellinger and a fourth stringer named Jack Cohn, who by my projection will not make the roster, I don't think. Um, so, yeah, <clears throat> that's most of the personnel breakdown. Let's jump into the draft. Pretty interesting, pretty impressive draft in my opinion. Oh, now we find out who Nick Cross is. He's a third-round pick this year. Okay, makes sense. So the draft, let's rewind. We're not in the third round yet. Second round, <clears throat> they didn't have a first-rounder. Uh, Philly had their first-rounder from the Wentz trade, uh, and then they traded it to Tennessee for A.J. Brown. So that's how that worked out. Um, the Colts' first-round pick this year ended up being Traylon Burks for the Titans. Uh, so in the second round, you know, really, we just went through all the key additions and key losses for this team. I failed to mention because he's still unsigned, so there's potential to be brought back. But T.Y. Hilton, his contract expired with this team as well. So he's not on the roster right now. And, you know, it doesn't look like they're in a hurry to bring him back. It, to me, it would take um, an injury to one of the three main guys of Pittman, Alec Pierce, and... Paris Campbell is the slot receiver for this team right now. He hasn't been able to stay healthy throughout his career, so don't want to jinx him. He's a player I really liked out of the draft. We'll talk about him later. But <clears throat> they needed to address the receiver position. Really, Michael Pittman Jr. is the only established guy on this roster. So the Colts spend their second-round pick, uh, pick 53 overall, I believe, on Alec Pierce. Uh, wide receiver out of Cincinnati. This kid's six foot three, two hundred twelve pounds. Runs a four four forty. Um, he's long. He's lanky. He's physical. He can win contested catches. Kind of a Michael Pittman Jr. clone. The Colts' offense is fucking massive. They might have the biggest set of pass catchers when you look at just the entire 
roster that I've ever seen. Michael Pittman Jr. is a big guy as well. believe he's around 6'3". And the tight ends, I mean, they have four absolute giants at tight end also. And that transitions into their third-round pick, tight end Jelani Woods out of University of Virginia. Now, you guys know me. I am a total football nerd. I went and watched the entire NFL Combine this year because this is what I do with my time, guys. So out of all the tight end drills, uh, Jelani Woods impressed me the most by far at the Combine. Um, He was not a guy being talked about a whole lot coming into the draft. For some reason, he was being left off of experts' top five tight ends drafts or boards in this draft. And I I was screaming from the rooftops, Jelani Woods looks like a guy. This dude is 6'7", 255. Okay, Jelani Woods can block. He can push people around because he's massive, and then the dude can run routes, he's got soft hands, he looks like he's got relatively loose hips for being six foot seven. I really think Jelani Woods is going to be a dude in the NFL, I'm really pegging him as one of my, one of my main kind of future breakout tight ends that I'm looking for, um, I don't want to dive too deep into it right now, even though I kind of do. I kind of want to talk about Jelani Woods for like 10 minutes. Go look him up. He's massive. And at the tight end position, it usually takes guys a year or two or three to put it all together. I've mentioned this just on yesterday's episode and in previous episodes. Right now, the starter on the team is Mo Ali Cox. And actually, Kylan Granson is a uh, is a guy ahead of Jelani Woods on the depth chart right now. But it's not uncommon for rookie tight ends to start buried on that depth chart and have to work their way up. Uh, we'll circle back to the tight end room in just a second. Actually, let's do it now. They also drafted tight end Andrew Ogletree in the sixth round of this draft. And he was looking to impress in training camp as well. Actually, reports that he was possibly out playing Woods in training camp, which surprised me. Uh, He just yesterday, um, Wednesday, uh, August 17th, was reported to have a torn ACL, so he's done for the year. Interesting that they drafted two tight ends in this draft. We saw the Ravens do it a few years ago with Hayden Hurst and Mark Andrews, and it's like, yeah, you get one of them to work out, you're good to go. Um, let's finish up the draft recap round three offensive tackle Bernard Raymond, um, to add to that offensive line round three, their second, third round pick safety, Nick cross out of Maryland. He is currently beating out Rodney McLeod for starting strong safety reps. According to my latest research, look at us. We're learning today, guys. Uh, round five, uh, defensive tackle, Eric Johnson out of Mississippi state. And that's going to wrap up my draft recap there. So, you know, we've touched on most of the key bullet points here for the offseason, and it's time to do the schedule breakdown. It's time to look at the win totals, and i got to tell you guys, I'm going to be aggressive with this team. I'm going to be aggressive. This is a team that I have been eyeing to bet on all offseason. Since the draft, since the trade for Matt Ryan, and again, it's not that I am a Wentz disbeliever because I thought this team was good last year as well. You know, I was betting on this team left, right, and center to cover over the course of last regular season when they got on that little run and Jonathan Taylor started running through people. But um, I just view it again like I think it's not so much that Matt Ryan is going to put up different numbers or or anything like that as opposed to Wentz last year. I just think the organization – the players in the locker room, the front office, the coaching staff, I just think that they 
believe in him more as a leader and are more confident with him steering the ship. As much as it kills me to say, because I love Wentz, or I loved Wentz. It's complicated, guys. Uh, this Colts team has the third easiest schedule in the league this year, according to my references. So they, uh, <laughs> I do think they have a lot of potential to win some games here. We've seen quite a fluctuation of some of their futures this summer. They opened to win their division. The odds to win their division, they were a dog at, I think, plus 120, I believe, not too long ago, a few months ago this offseason. They're now minus 125 to win their division. And we've also seen a lot of fluctuation in their odds to make the playoffs going from, I believe, minus 115 or 105 earlier in the offseason all the way to minus 172 today on August 18th. So uh, the sports books coming around to the same opinion that I am here that this Colts team looks to be on an upward trajectory. Um, I really like their entire defense. Again, their O-line and their running game makes it so that Matt Ryan doesn't need to be a superhero. And let's listen to this schedule. We'll go through this quickly because, honestly, I think you guys will catch on you know, pretty soon <clears throat> to what I'm talking about here. We got the Texans, Jags. That's an easy start. Chiefs, Titans, Broncos, kind of a tough stretch. Then it's back to the Jags, Titans, Commanders, Patriots, Raiders, Eagles, Steelers, Cowboys, Vikings, Chargers, Giants, Texans. And so there's some competitive teams there in the middle stretch. I mean, that whole AFC West, Chargers, Broncos, Raiders, Chiefs, that is tough. However, I think this team will clearly be able to handle those four games against the Texans and Jags. They're an eight-point favorite in Houston to start the season right off the bat. I view them being better than the Titans. Let's say they split. They go one and one there. That still, to me, is an easy four or five wins in the division. I, and I don't think that there's any teams out here that really are just pegged to blow them out. I think that my belief in the Colts is that they can compete with almost any team on this schedule. Really any team, because I mean, again, that AFC West, that makes up the strength of this schedule. But outside of that, and I think they can hang with that division. They can easily steal a couple games. Outside of that, you got the two games against the Titans, and then you got like Patriots, Eagles, Steelers, Vikings as kind of uh, Cowboys as kind of those like we'll see how they go toss up games. If you can call them that, they'll definitely be favored over the Steelers. I mean, they're at home against the Eagles, so they'll be favored there. I just see a lot of potential for this team looking at that schedule. I don't think there's any team that they're really outmatched in a, in a serious way. Again, maybe arguably outside of some of those AFC West games. So the over-under for wins is 9.5, with the over at minus 160, under plus 135. Give me the over. Give me this team to win their division. If you go back and listen to the Titans preview, this team has a much easier schedule. If we can listen to me flip through my notebook pages for a quick second, I've got the Colts at the third easiest schedule, the Titans at the 21st easiest schedule. So I think that the Colts are in a position to take this division this year if they can stay healthy. I really can't be more vocal about it. I've, I, I almost want to talk myself into a 22-1 to 1 Super Bowl ticket or a 12-1 to 1 AFC ticket. I'm not sure I love it because just the conference is so stacked. 
But I think if this team stays healthy and they go into that off or in that postseason with this physical running game and this defense and Matt Ryan playing well, and if these young receivers can step up, because really that's a big concern, probably the biggest concern in this offense is can these pass catching weapons provide enough firepower to really keep this offense well-rounded and complement the Jonathan Taylor running game. You know, Michael Pittman, Alec Pierce, Paris Campbell, and Mo Ali Cox as your main pass-catching weapons, not overly intimidating on paper, but if these young kids, I shouldn't call them kids, uh, can put it together. Man, I sound fucking old. When did I start calling NFL players kids? What are we doing here, guys? Holy fuck, that hit me like a freight train. If these guys can get it together, and, you know, I think Michael Pittman especially is posed for just a smash breakout, like, legit wide receiver one type year here. Um, there's a lot of potential for this team based on their core foundation and the way their formula to win games, just like they did last year. I'll say it over and over again. O-line defense run game. Like, this team, this team can easily win 10-11 games this season and be a top four seed in the AFC. For sure. Home playoff game for Indy. Home playoff game. Write it down here, August 18th. Home playoff game for Indy. So I'm comfortable taking any of these futures. If you guys want to go and grab a 22 to 1 to win the Super Bowl, you get into that, you know, you get into January and other teams are going to be beat up and this team's going to be playing physical. So you got a puncher's chance with this kind of formula, I really think. So, yeah, can't be more vocal about it. Take anything you want here. Over nine and a half wins, minus 160, book it. Odds to win the division, minus 125, book it. Odds to make the playoffs, minus 172, book it. I'll take it. Obviously, the best bargain there in terms of value, I mean, division minus 125, you're paying the least amount of juice. And if we look at, again, let's compare odds to the Titans. Win total is the same. 9.5 is the over-under for the win total. But uh, the Colts over is minus 160. The Titans over is plus 120. Big, big difference in perception of how the sports books are viewing these teams. So all in on the Colts. Let's ride. They're one of my two or three favorite teams to be backing this year from a future standpoint. I haven't gotten into all my futures, but there's some teams I'm really interested in playing this year, and the Colts are at the top of that list. I'll also be a big Baltimore Ravens fan this year. I'll be a big Philadelphia Eagles fan this year. I know I am every year, but from a win total standpoint, their market value right now is screaming off the page to me. Big Vikings guy this year over 8.5 looks good. I'll be talking about the Saints over 8.5 as well. We'll get into all of that in this uh, final two weeks um, between these team previews once I wrap these up and the uh, the kickoff in September. So we'll have a nice two-week two week buffer to get into all that. I want to jump over to the fantasy and offensive breakdowns and outlook for this team, and I want to wrap this Colts preview up. Just uh, go bet on the Colts this year. I will be. I will be quite a bit. Um, okay, honorable mention for the offense, backup QB, Big Dick Nick. Uh, they're deep at running back, Philip Lindsay and Tyson Williams. The receiving core, a lot of ambiguous names here I've mentioned. Aside from uh, Michael Pittman, um, murky situation. I mean, obviously the starters right now. Alec Pierce, I have no doubt he'll be on the field. You know, if he's healthy, he's the second best receiver on this roster behind Pittman. Paris Campbell's a guy I want to talk about real quick. I was really in love with Paris Campbell coming out of Ohio State in the Combine four years ago. He played at Ohio State with uh, Terry McLaurin and Dwayne Haskins and was like 
just as impressive on the field as Terry McLaurin, in my opinion. Terry may be a little bit better of a route runner. Paris, more of that kind of gadget guy that you're going to be getting on those you know, quick screens, end arounds, get him into space and let him dance. He has not been able to stay healthy, but he's penciled in as the third receiver, the slot guy for this team. Behind those guys, we have Kiki QT, Ashton Doolin, and Desmond Patman. Also, Michael Strahan, uh, as far as receivers who could make an impact beyond that. And then tight end, I mentioned, outside of Moelle Cox, the guys behind him, uh, Kylan Granson, although I think Jelani Woods will beat him out by the end of the season for that tight end two role. And they did have Alec Ogletree making plays there before the torn ACL. So the main guys we're going to talk about here, Matt Ryan, Jonathan Taylor, Naheem Hines, Michael Pittman Jr., Alec Pierce, Paris Campbell, and Mo Ali Cox. And some of these guys, not much playing time in the past, like Alec Pierce and Paris Campbell, Mo Ali Cox, you know, not that relevant of a fantasy tight end. Naheem Hines is a backup, so maybe we can make this go kind of quickly. Matt Ryan, being drafted 149 overall, quarterback 20 this year. It's about accurate for where he's going in drafts. Um, He was going 129 last year, QB 15. Finished quarterback 20 last year on the Atlanta Falcons, mind you. Different offense, different system. 17 games played last year. QB 31 in points per game has the 19th easiest schedule this year. I'm not interested in Matt Ryan at all for fantasy. I think in real life football, Matt Ryan will have a great season. I think this Colts team... For what Matt Ryan's skill set is at this point in his career, again, he's going to be a game manager, but he's going to be a very good one, in my opinion. Um, I think a high target share for Michael Pittman in this offense. I think the the entire offense flows through those two running backs that we'll talk about in a second. But um, in terms of fantasy and big stats, I mean, look at Wentz's stats in this offense from last year. Carson Wentz finished the fantasy QB 14 on the season. Maybe that sounds good, but he was QB 20 in points per game. Um, The numbers were about 3,500 passing yards, 27 TDs, 7 interceptions, and he only finished top 12 11.8% of his games last year. Um, Excuse me, top 6 11.8% of his games last year, so he's not giving you that elite week winning upside as a fantasy QB. Matt Ryan, same deal. His consistency metrics almost identical to Wentz last year. Um, going top six again, the exact same two games, 11.8%. You know, they were both tied for the 24th most consistent top six finish. So they're just not giving you that weekly upside. In fact, Matt Ryan last year only finished top 12 in 17% of his games, which was the 38th ranked out of 32 starting QBs, mind you. And he, outside of that, you know, he did not give you a top 12 week, 83% of his fantasy games. And if you're telling me that you're going to show up between the QB 13 and 24 on the week in half your games. I'm not interested. So I think he'll be able to steer the ship. I'm not interested for fantasy. And again, even like 27 TDs, seven interceptions sounds great, but you're only throwing for 3,500. I need, if you're going to give me 27 touchdowns and no rushing upside, I need 5,500 passing yards to even think about you for fantasy. There's just too many guys with much more upside. And even a guy like Justin Fields, who just sucks at football, in my opinion, could finish ahead of Matt Ryan if he just runs for 700 yards this year, just based on fantasy scoring. So let's move on. I'm not into Matty Ice, although I think he'll have a great season. 
Um, Jonathan Taylor is dominant. He's so, he's so fun to watch for football. Um, yeah, he's a perfect fit for what this offense does. He's the focal point of this offense. He's the overall consensus, uh, number one overall pick in fantasy after finishing as the number one running back last year once Derrick Henry got injured. Um, with Christian McCaffrey and Derrick Henry being the other top two running backs really in most drafts with injury concerns to themselves, I think Jonathan Taylor is the safest pick in fantasy football this year aside from maybe Cooper Cup. Uh, so yeah, if I have the number one overall pick, which I do in one of my drafts this year, I'm taking Jonathan Taylor. It's not so much that I'm guaranteeing he's going to finish as the running back one again this year. Like you can't guarantee that a guy is going to get you 18 rushing touchdowns two years in a row, but if there's someone that can do it, it's probably Jonathan Taylor. Again, he's just built into this offense. Everything runs through Jonathan Taylor here. And the offensive line is great. Um, 17th easiest schedule for running backs. Nothing special, mediocre. But Jonathan Taylor turns, you know, he takes advantage of a mediocre schedule and turns it into a weak-ass schedule. Uh, He was being drafted ninth overall last year. Running back eight um, in general consensus. Finished RB1. RB2 in points per game because Derrick Henry is just a freak of nature. Um, Jonathan Taylor finished top 12 last year, 64.7% of his games, second best behind Derrick Henry finished RB two, 23%, which was 25th most consistent, which if you total those up, it puts him into the top 24, 88.8% of his games, which was the number one most consistent top 24 rank, even ahead of Derrick Henry. He only finished a running back three once and only busted outside of the top 36 once last year. Can't get more safe than that, and I expect a lot of the same. As far as consistency, there's no one safer in fantasy football. So we don't really need to overthink it with Jonathan Taylor. I guess my only concerns with him is that this next guy gets more involved this year which I do think he will, but I think a lot of it will be more towards the passing game, which isn't necessarily the strength of Jonathan Taylor's production anyways. Naheem Hines, I think, will have an expanded role. Again, with with the vacated targets at that receiving core and some of the just uncertainty as far as who can we count on to stay healthy and produce consistently, Naheem Hines is doing a lot of drills in training camp currently with the receivers, getting ready to play some of that slot role, kind of how we saw, you know, guys like Tony Pollard and Austin Eckler doing for their teams over the past few years. We go back, Le'Veon Bell used to play the slot in Pittsburgh a lot. I think Naheem Hines could be a pretty involved pass-catching weapon for this team. Um, I don't think he'll be used entirely around the goal line, um, so Jonathan Taylor's touchdown upside should be very safe. To me, they're just complementary guys. It's not like Hines is going to come in and steal touches at all. But Hines is a guy being drafted 130th overall, running back 45. He was going 124 overall, running back 42. Finished RB 48 last year in 17 games, RB 64 in games played. Uh, Excuse me, in points per game at the running back position last year. He gave you one top 12 week last year. He gave you two uh, RB 2 weeks. So, you know, three games inside the top 24 last year, 60th most consistent. And then he busted outside of the top 36, 70%. It's all about snap count opportunity. He really didn't give you much for fantasy unless he scored a touchdown. I think this year, hopefully, the idea is he has more of a uh, floor, a um, little bit safer with some PPR upside, you know, to keep him keep him involved. I mean, I, I don't think it's out of the question that Naheem Hines maybe gets, you know, four or five receptions a game and can kind of almost give you like a Darren Sproles type 
like he's very explosive. Like he can he can definitely fill um, a niche role as a pass catching back here. So I'm interested in him. Honestly, if you want to take a shot on a running back in the 13th, 14th round of your fantasy draft, Naheem Hines is like really not a bad idea. And I think he's a guy that could be picked up in the first couple of weeks of the season once people start getting a look at those snap counts and say, man, this guy's on the field a little bit more than I thought he would be. Uh, receivers, you know, I've mentioned the only guy really that you can be overly confident in is Michael Pittman Jr. He's going drafted 44th overall this year, wide receiver 15, pretty accurate to me. Last year finished wide receiver 17, playing 17 games. Uh, wide receiver 29 in points per game last year, but <clears throat> that was all uh, returning a great uh costs in your draft process um he was going in the 10th round of your fantasy drafts last year as wide receiver 43 and gave you wide receiver 17 production i had him last year on one of my teams he's actually my keeper i'm getting him in the 10th round again in one of my fantasy leagues this year could not be more excited i think it's he's as as locked into a secure wide receiver one target share as any player in the league i mean even if you look at guys like justin jefferson and jamar chase like they're they could potentially, you know, be splitting targets with guys like T. Higgins and Adam Thielen, where Pittman really doesn't have any threats. He's really the the alpha in this, uh, you know, weapons group here in the passing game. So I'm cool with his draft cost, and I think he could even catapult himself into that top 10 category this year. The schedule is pretty favorable, 11th easiest for fantasy receivers this year. Uh, Michael Pittman, let's look at his numbers. He didn't really give you those boom weeks last year, only giving you two games inside the top 12, 11.8%, which was 47th ranked in consistency. But he was almost always coming in as a wide receiver too. Fifth highest wide receiver two finish at 35.3%. So that put him in the top 24, 47% of his games, which was the 16th most consistent. So again, he's not going to win you a week by himself, um, but he was giving you some very solid, consistent production. Uh, He did bust outside of the top 36, 41% of his games. But, you know, like I said, you know, in this offense, you're going to disappear from time to time. It was only his second year in the NFL. I think he has a potential to be even better this year. I was watching Pat McAfee yesterday. They were at a Colts training camp. He caught um, like a crossing route and dusted a guy down the sideline for 45 yards and then went and grabbed the uh, microphone and said, what's up, everybody, while he's you know out of breath over there huffing and puffing down the sideline. I just think he's got a lot of charisma. Guys in the locker room love him. He's clearly the alpha in this wide receiver core, and there's opportunity that Matt Ryan just locks onto him and feeds him this season. So I'm excited about Pittman this year. Alec Pierce, um, rookie out of Cincinnati. <clears throat> I'm going to be honest, like he wasn't my favorite receiver coming into the draft because he just didn't get the coverage a lot of other guys did. But I've heard nothing but good things out of Colts camp. Again, I saw some great highlights, him lining up and running a nice route on Jeff Okuda the other day against the Lions in those joint practices. And Alec Pierce, another big physical guy. I mentioned the size of these pass-catching weapons. And he's a guy that I think, you know, Chris Ballard is really good drafter. This is one of the teams that I look at who they draft and I say, oh, they fucking nailed that pick. Like, you can just kind of tell they when, when they want their guy, they get their guy. Um, they're really good at finding talent in the second round, which is where Pierce came. I mean, they've got Michael Pittman Jr. and Jonathan Taylor, their last two second rounds. So... Yeah, I think Alec Pierce is going to be just fine. Um, In terms of fantasy, will he get the volume this year? We'll see. 
He's being drafted 165 overall, wide receiver 68. If you want to take a shot at your end, the end of your drafts, maybe. He's probably someone I'm more watching for the waiver wire, but I think the talent long-term, he'll be a very good receiver. Um, the Colts actually uh, had him pegged from the start. They ended up moving back 10 spots. The Vikings traded up, but they said, we think we can still get Pierce at 52, and they did. Um, so again, Chris Ballard just knows what he's doing in the draft. And when I see them take a guy, um, reminiscent of when I saw them take Michael Pittman Jr. ahead of really, it was ahead of the rest of the general, you know, draft rankings by consensus. But when Chris Ballard sees something in a guy that the rest of the market doesn't, I pay attention similar to, you know, how the Steelers drafted George Pickens and now, you know, week one of the preseason, George Pickens is the best football player on the planet, according to the internet, because you just, you can tell, oh, the Steelers got another stud receiver in the second round. It's just what they do over and over again. Um, so yeah, Alec Pierce, that's about all we can really say about him. He's a rookie, no, no other metrics. Um, I, I'm not drafting him, but I, I like the talent and it's a wait and see kind of guy. Paris Campbell, I'm also not drafting. He's a guy that I've gotten caught with my pants down on a couple of times before. I think this is his fourth year in the league. Again, same draft class as DK Metcalf. And the Colts were really high on him. Um, I believe former second-round pick in that draft going ahead of Terry McLaurin, if I remember correctly. But he hasn't been able to stay healthy at all. It would take me all day to rattle off his injury history. But basically, um, in his uh, NFL career he has played 15 games in three years he's got 34 catches on 53 targets 360 receiving yards and two touchdowns this is a guy that I had a lot of hope for coming out of college again I think the talent is there can he stay healthy so far the Colts are optimistic that he will be their slot guy this season so pay attention to the name Paris Campbell I'm a believer in the talent big time if he's on the field just pay attention to it but I won't draft him until I see him producing, given that he's been in the NFL three years and hasn't given us anything to get excited about yet, unfortunately. Going 199 in your draft, wide receiver 83, uh, played six games last season. Just nothing really to dive into. Um, has never really given a top 12 performance in his career, I don't think, for fantasy. So let's talk tight ends. And this guy is interesting a little bit based on, again, the vacated target share in this offense. He's been around for a few years, and now he's finally getting the chance to be the uh, number one tight end on this team with uh, guys like Eric Ebron and uh, um, who is it? Uh, baby hands, Jack Doyle, you know, no longer on this uh, roster. Molly Cox is a big son of a bitch, former uh, D1 college basketball player at VCU, I believe. Uh, he's listed at 6'5". He's probably more uh, in the Jelani Woods 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, range, if you ask me. Um, probably a tight end by committee this year. I mentioned they have quite a few guys in that room, and Jelani Woods is a guy that I, I think is kind of, um, you know, long-term, he's like a better version of Mo Ali Cox. Like, he's like if Mo Ali Cox actually played college football. Because Mo Ali Cox, again, converted basketball player, big physical guy, not sure he's the most polished player. He's going drafted um, 264, tight end 33 in your super deep leagues. Um, again, really just a touchdown dependent guy. Not much in between the 20s so far in his career. Finished the tight end 26 last year in 17 games, 39 in points per game. Difficult schedule, third hardest, fourth hardest schedule for fantasy tight ends. Only gave you one top six week last year. Uh, gave you 
three weeks inside the top 12, 33rd best ranked for tight ends. It's just, it's it's not really a group that I see being um, used at, at high enough volume to really return fantasy value. I guess really outside of Taylor, Hines, and Pittman, I'm not really super in on many of the fantasy options here. And to circle back to what I've said 15 times today, I mean, defense, run game, and O-line, like that's the formula here. So it's not like I'm really looking to like go all in on the fantasy pieces for this offense. It's just not how they're going to play. It's not how they're going to win games, but that's okay. I'm definitely attacking this team uh, from an overall team performance win total standpoint. I think they're going to have their shit together this year. You know, Frank Wright coming into his fifth year. I think he's getting anxious to really make a playoff push here with this team. They've been bouncing around quarterback to quarterback really the last four or five seasons. And um, I'm thinking Maddie Matty Ryan should give them the consistency that they need at least for the next two years. So I'm high on the Colts. Go ahead, grab them to win the division, grab them to go over nine and a half wins. We will come back tomorrow. We're breaking down the we got the Texans and Jags coming up, so it should be a fun week here, next two episodes. And then we only have one division left. We're gonna do the NFC South and then finally talk Cleveland Browns. We'll see you next time. Thank you guys. Ramble on.